The reading this morning is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12, reading verses 37 to 50. The passage is headed, Belief and Unbelief Among the Jews. Even after Jesus had had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I will judge. I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a little Christmas ditty for you. Roses are reddish, violets are bluish. If it wasn't for Christmas, we'd all be Jewish. Isn't that cute? It's attributed to that great English theologian and comic genius, the late Benny Hill. For those of you who are too young to remember Benny Hill, shall I just say he was a comedian before political correctness was invented. And I guess he himself would never have claimed to be much of a theologian. I don't know. But you can kind of see his point, can't you? The birth of Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas, was indeed a turning point, a watershed 
in world history. The point at which God's promise to the Jewish nation, to Abraham and his descendants, were opened to all people, Gentiles as well as Jews. The point, in other words, at which the Old and the New Testaments converge. So, Benny Hill, whether he knew it or not, and I suspect he didn't, was right in a way. To paraphrase, roses are reddish, violets are bluish. If it wasn't for Christmas, we'd all be in pretty much the same situation as the Jews we heard about just now in our passage. Denied access to salvation. Well, this is the last sermon in our four-part series for Advent looking at four of the reasons that Jesus came to earth to live among us. Four facets, if you like, of the amazing jewel that is the gospel message. Four of the many reasons for celebrating in two weeks' time. The birth of the one who came to save us. The birth of the one who came to draw us to himself. The birth of the one who came to give us life to the full. And today, the birth of the one who came to lead us out of darkness. Verse 46 of our passage today, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, by way of background, you should perhaps know that the end of chapter 12, which we've just heard read to us, marks the end of what we might call the public ministry of Jesus. From chapter 13 onwards of John's Gospel, Jesus talks privately to his disciples at the Last Supper and then comes his death and resurrection. So we can think of these final verses of chapter 12 as the last words that Jesus says publicly in his three-year ministry. If you scan back briefly to verse 36, which is the verse before our reading today, Jesus is talking to the crowds about light. Believe in the light, he says, presumably referring to himself. Believe in the light while you still have the light, so that you may become children of light. And then suddenly, John tells us, when he'd finished speaking, John left. Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, we don't know where Jesus went or for how long. The next few verses of our passage, the first the verses 37 to 43, are all the gospel writers' words. Jesus is hidden. And then, just as suddenly we're told, verse 44, that Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. We're not told when Jesus cried that out, or where he was when he cried it out, or even who was present when he cried it out. But we are told what Jesus cried out, and what he cried out was, in effect, a summary of his ministry, his raison d'etre, the reason he came. And I guess John, the gospel writer John, felt that there was no need to tell us the details of when, where, and who to, because Jesus' words are not time-bound 
or place-bound or audience-bound. They are a synopsis of the eternal truths that are relevant to anyone, anywhere, anytime who believes in him. John says that Jesus cried out. There's great emotion here, isn't there? Jesus is passionate about his relationship with the Father, and he passionately wants us to share in that relationship. And he passionately wants us to know that he, Jesus, is the only one who can shed light on that relationship for us. So he cried out for emphasis, verbal highlighting, underscoring, block capitals, three exclamation marks. This is what I want you to understand. So let's look at what Jesus cried out. Verses 44 and 45. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. There's nothing new here. From first to last, Jesus has claimed that he and the Father are one. John 14, anyone who's seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. And of course, it's a claim that is absolutely central to the Christian gospel and to our faith in a Trinitarian God. To put it bluntly, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you don't have God as your Father. John writes in 1 John, this is 1 John chapter 2, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. How you relate to Jesus is the clearest test of how you relate to God. Then verse 46, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Again, this is nothing new. Think back to the very start of John's Gospel. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8, Jesus spoke to the, again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, of course, this is not to say that by following Jesus, you'll reduce your energy bills. We're not talking about electromagnetic radiation in the four to 700 nanometer range here. We're talking about spiritual light. Jesus sheds light on the true nature of God. He illuminates God for us. So when we commit to becoming disciples of Jesus, he will lead us out of the spiritual darkness of ignorance, complacency, delusion, into the glorious light of intimate fellowship with God. This is what the little baby, whose birth we celebrate in two weeks' time, was born to do, to give us the opportunity to get to know God, to see God as he truly is, a loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus can do this because, as we've seen, he and the Father are one. The one who looks at me, says Jesus, is seeing the one who sent me. And then he goes on to say, verse 49, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commands me to say all I have spoken. 
And once again, this is nothing new. He said it before. Back in John 5, for example, very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And it's because of this intimate relationship between Father and Son that Jesus can say with confidence, The Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So that's it. Jesus came into the world as a light so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness but is enabled to live for God and with God in the light of eternity. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. When we know Jesus, we know the Father. And we're saved because we have eternal life through the words of Jesus because they are the very words of God. And they have the unique divine power by the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus himself to the human heart. In John 6, Jesus says to his disciples, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. A few verses further on in chapter 6, when Jesus, Jesus is actually questioning whether his disciples might be thinking of deserting him. Lots of people were deserting him because of his hard teaching. And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the celebration of new life at Christmas is wonderful because it is our entree to eternal life with God. No wonder we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him room. But, there's always a but, isn't there? Here we are in our passage at the very end of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. But, John tells us in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. You can kind of understand then why Jesus cried out, can't you? I mean, was he saddened? Yes. Disappointed? Possibly. Exasperated? Definitely. After all, he, after all that he'd done among them in his three years of ministry, healing, teaching, signs, miracles, they still would not believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And you know what's really sad about this? I mean, we read, of course, in John 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the most awesome verse in the whole of the New Testament, isn't it? Yeah. But we also know from this passage 
today that God knew that his gracious gift would be binned, ignored, rejected. Not by everyone, it's true, but certainly by many. Would you like to give somebody a Christmas gift if you knew that they were going to take it to a charity shop the day after? Jesus, Jesus was rejected. And, he, and God told Isaiah that that would happen 700 years before Jesus was even born. Verse 38 of our passage today, John quotes Isaiah 53. Verse 1, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Which is the beginning of probably the greatest of all the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures, the so-called suffering servant prophecy, which we now know, of course, describes Jesus to a T. A couple of verses after the one that John quotes, we can read, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So the point is that Isaiah prophesied that this suffering servant, Jesus, would be rejected, that Israel would not believe in him. Why wouldn't they believe? I guess he was simply not the stuff that messiahs are made of, not the kind of messiah they expected or wanted. Actually, not everybody refused to believe. Verse 42, many did, but because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. In other words, they worried about what other people would think of them. More about other people than about God. This passage, of course, refers particularly to the Jews of Jesus' day. But I don't think it's very far from the truth of today, is it? The general apathy, insecurity, and skepticism of society today. Unlike the Jews of Jesus' day were not eyewitnesses to the many signs that Jesus performed during his ministry. But we do now have the Bible, the Word of God, which was written by eyewitnesses of these events. Nevertheless, the sad truth, to paraphrase verse 37, is that even when people today can be bothered to read in the Bible about all the great things that Jesus did, so many too many still don't want to believe him. Why? Well, perhaps not exclusively, but certainly in large part, because they're too worried about what other people will think of them, will ridicule them. He's got religion, that kind of thing. And the tragedy of this is that those, verse 48, is that those who reject Jesus and don't accept his words, in effect, pass up the opportunity to be led by Jesus from spiritual darkness into God's glorious light. Which means, in effect, that they condemn themselves by declining God's offer of eternal life. But here's the good news. 
Verse 40, Jesus says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus might want to reprimand us. He might want to tell us how silly we are. I mean, remember there, in the, there's a bit in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. But, and this is the important thing, the birth, life and death of Jesus Christ as a man, the incarnation was his first coming. And his statement here that I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, is a reminder that his role in that first coming was not to judge our sin, but rather to save us from our sin. Judgment will come later when Jesus comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Matthew tells us that no one knows when that day will be. Even the angels in heaven and the Son don't know. Only the Father knows. But, as we read in Hebrews 9, Christ, who was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And until Jesus' second coming, it's not too late for anyone and everyone to get onto that waiting list. Which is where we come in. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. But you know, Jesus also says to those who believe in him, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your righteous deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Those of us who believe in Jesus are inheritors of Jesus' light. And as such, we are called to carry on Jesus' work of making sure that no one that we know or love should stay in darkness. And what better time to recommit ourselves to this work than right now at Christmas time. Yes, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of a little baby. Away in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem in the bleak midwinter when shepherds are watching their flocks by night and three kings of Orient come bearing gifts. Of course we do. But more importantly, we celebrate a saviour who came to lead us out of darkness, the darkness of this world and into the glorious light of a relationship with God, a relationship that first of all will help us to withstand the stresses and strains of our mortal lives. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And secondly, our relationship with God will bring us to eternal life, where there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. This is what we believe that the baby of Bethlehem, who is the light of the world, will do for us, because he loves us.
with a passion. Amen.